You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Part 3. Reconnoiter. Chapter 10. Travel Elsewhere. The first thing that hit me was a tidal wave of heat haze. The forest we had stepped into was not snowy and in stasis, but humid and fertile, enthusiastically alive with chirping sounds and running water. Both of us gasped as warm air licked against the rigid, cold, exposed skin of our wrists, necks and faces, causing little sighs of relief as the adrenaline from the recent fighting dissipated throughout our systems. But I could not allow myself a moment to rest. I reached out to search for the remnants of the doorway that had just closed, only to find the dreadfully familiar ocean of anonymous fingerprints ebbing through reality. The keyhole was already lost. James, where did you bring us? Remember that cold, dark stone chamber? World B? Her eyes widened as I gestured around us. I surmised we needed somewhere safe and stable for a few moments to hide and to think. And after that? We may have a long time to think. There was an expansive silence as the woods breathed around us. On the upside, I was being hunted across America by a relentless maniac. And now my trail has gone cold. Can't get me here. I nodded as another silence stretched away until the next question inevitably emerged. Can we get back? I mimed the flipping of a coin and shrugged melodramatically as she bunched up her fists before her and a flare of frustration surged through me. As I had opened this door seeing no other options, she herself had even fewer than to close it behind us. We were marooned here, walled into this strange new place. There was a brief moment as my mind cast over all of our old arguments. All the clashing and ego and posturing and one-upmanship, the fire and ice of every way we had related in the past. And I straightened up and opened my mouth, before letting the breath out through flapping lips. My head descended in a slump. There was no sense fighting now, and we knew it. Just as we knew each other. Abigail blew a ringlet of hair out of her eye in accordance and grinned wryly at my surrender of the very idea of recrimination. I couldn't think of a better plan either, she admitted. Then, crossing the distance between us, she wrapped her arms around me and held me tightly. I was so surprised I dropped my medical bag. We stood for a while in the glade of peculiar trees, all very old and twisted, yet still alive and growing. Thank you, she murmured in my ear. I was getting so goddamn lonely. I didn't want to just stand by and watch you do this, I replied quite truthfully. We unbonded and stepped apart, unsure of what to say next. Eventually she slapped me on the shoulder and winced slightly, then took off her thick coat and set it on the forest floor. Busted my arm up pretty bad when I jumped out of that airship. I think... The shoulder dislocated, so I reset it myself, but it's been catching and hurting since then. Can you take a look at it? I'll need your shirt off too, I replied, 
There was a pause, and she unbuttoned herself, turning her eye away from me and moving gingerly with visible pain. Jesus, Lee hit me about a hundred times back there, she muttered, revealing her bare shoulder and muscular arm, which she flexed, grunting. We sat down, cross-legged, me behind her. I took off my gloves and began to carefully check over her muscles and joints. I could feel a tingling sensation on my fingertips, and occasionally a blue, glowing mist seemed to form across her body. It's taken effort to let you touch me, she said, still not looking my way. Not that I don't want you to. I mean, the shield is... it's reflexive now. I have to make myself lower it. I nodded and lightly pressed my thumb into her shoulder blade. Is this where it hurts? Right now? She drawled, raising her arm and proffering her elbow, tapping it with a finger. This is the only place on my body that doesn't hurt. Where does it hurt the most, then? At this, she finally fixed me with that green eye of hers, then took the Stetson off and shook out her hair. Well, you're really asking two questions there, Doc. She replied, before clasping her naked shoulder for a moment. Here. At this, I pulled out a syringe from my bag, dosing it with a small measure of morphine. She eyed the needle, warily. What? Nothing, I just... I'm gonna need to be very relaxed to allow that inside me. I'd rather save you the pain. Let your shoulder go. Focus on breathing in and out, slowly and deeply. She set herself to this task, and I waited patiently until I could slip the needle in. With that done, I gently took her upper arm in my hand, braced myself against the small of her back, and we hung for a moment as she leaned into me. Then I lowered her down to the ground, gently, and gradually worked that arm around in the socket while she groaned as the intensity of the process gathered within her. Eventually, there was a clunk, and she inhaled sharply. At the same time, my fingers were flung off her as though snatched away by unseen hands, accompanied by a blue flash and a stream of profanity pouring forth from her lips that I will not repeat, most of it physically impossible. I'm sorry. She panted. Beads of sweat upon her forehead. I was trying so hard not to do that. Please finish. I went in again with determination and maneuvered her arm manually, massaging the joints until she experienced a long shudder of tired satisfaction and relief. (gasps) The shoulder was home once more. Abigail shyly picked herself up and I turned respectfully away to survey the woods as she put on her shirt and hat again. Though she slung the coat over her good shoulder, it was too bloody hot for that here. The intimacy of the moment which had just passed had been fairly powerful. I could not lie to myself about that, although I could withhold it from her. Okay. Abigail checked her compass and gazed out across a great plain which lay atop or alongside the path she had followed in our world. It would lead us back to this place's equivalent of Washington, D.C., the area where that lonely stone chamber dwelt. Pressing on through these woods could get us lost easily. 
We're lost already. I'll jump straight to the punchline on a joke that's kind of racist, but where the fuck are we? I still don't know. I didn't want to open up to that world sea, which looked the same as ours. Because an alternate Agent Lee and Mr. White with the exact same agenda could have come charging through. God, why didn't you take us to Autumn? At least we know those people will probably help us. Not answering this, I simply stood and waited. Because the only known wind door back to our world then turfs us out into the vault at Langley. She concluded, looking back again. We don't want to go down that road. I've got seven more bullets for this derringer hidden away in my bag. We're not stuck here, and I can get us into Autumn now if you want. Or Rama. And we see if we can find that back door. It's far enough away from DC itself to be safer than the alternative. Those are two worlds I definitely have the exact vibration on. Or... Or we wait a day, travel several miles until we're out of range of where Thundercloud could spot our activity. We flip that coin, and I try to get us back into our own world. The tremor in my voice betrayed my lack of faith in this endeavour. Meanwhile, my companion had closed her visible eye and stood on a fallen log, breathing in the damp, slightly salty air. Any of those sound appealing? We may not have to chance it, she said, her eyes still closed. There's a door. Abigail extended her hand and pointed behind me through the forest. That way. How far? No clue. If it's a small doorway, it's close. If it's a big one, it's far away. But the color of it is familiar. In fact, the same as I felt back in August, this whole place is familiar. She flipped her eye patch and looked around us as I pulled out my compass, then turned her gaze far out east towards what would have been Washington and beyond. It was green. Earlier this year, Right up until today, in fact, I could feel a big green aperture way, way over there across the sea. But it's a deep indigo here, the same color as this newer one to the west. She was so excited she could barely form the words. James, I wasn't looking at the portal to World B with my starlit eye when we were in the vault, or just now, but I think it would have been green as well. She pointed east. If that's the London door then we're currently in whatever world it leads to. We're not lost. I found myself sighing with relief. We're not lost. (sighs) Then the next question, I suppose, is, do you want to go to London? This was tempting. We both stood, considering the prospect. It's a long way. and We don't even know if this world has boats or people. If we head west through this forest, the way could be a whole lot quicker. I feel like the western one is much closer to us. I just don't know how close. I did not respond at first. My mind had taken over. Suddenly it was engaged in mapping out excursion after excursion, journey after journey. I played through every possible scenario of our travel towards that alternate London. 
We reach an empty barren shore on the east coast. We die of thirst along the way. We find water, but grow weaker by the day, searching for edible food before one of us collapses and dies, leaving the other one blind and starving. We find mushrooms growing in the forest. With no alternative foodstuffs available, we eat them, are sick as dogs, and die. We grow sick, and with nobody to defend us, we die. With no available shelter for a month's long journey, we suffer exposure and die. We are ambushed by wolves as we travel. We are eaten and die. This world now features potential dimension-hopping wolves. We reach some form of civilization on the way to the east coast, and we are immediately killed by them. We manage to reach the London door, and due to miscalculation on our part, it leads somewhere that isn't our world at all. Let's head west. I agreed. It's quicker. Lead the way. Abigail hopped off the log and began to walk. I hurried over alongside her, and we drank in our fertile new surroundings as we went. Fairly soon we came across something that brought us a new burst of hope, and strange mixed feelings along with it. Meandering between the trees was the remnants of a pathway, very old and malformed now. The earth shifting around each stone had unseated its purchase upon the land, and moss and lichen were reclaiming it. I'm trying to work out how long this forest has been abandoned by its people. James mused as we picked our way along, cautious of twisting an ankle on the uneven rubble. Could be a hundred years or more. Why do you think they left? I asked, a little worried as I scanned the treetops. No answer I think we're going to be too thrilled about. Good land doesn't get deserted unless there's plague or some other kind of disaster. I don't see any skeletons on the ground, I murmured, shuddering. This place didn't feel like one of death. Quite the opposite. The trees were dressed in lustrous green, and in amongst their branches I spied things that might have been either birds or squirrels if they were born in our world. Here, instead, they seemed to be both. Strange, four-legged bodies with avian beaks and wings. They watched us pass with beady eyes. Squidgins. This door we're headed to. I tensed inside as I knew what logical question had occurred to him. How are you sure it emerges into our exact world? I searched for an answer that could bypass the entire truth. But he was already a step ahead. You said you were familiar with the energy signature and colour, but it wasn't on the previous list you compiled with Jeremy. And White didn't mention a fourth doorway on Thundercloud just before you jumped out. I remember quite distinctly Egypt, London, West Virginia. He paused in his tracks, his brow furrowed. And you aren't answering. I stopped and turned to him. Okay. Please don't be too mad at me for this. More doorways have been appearing since August. He said matter-of-factly, cocking his head, trying to read my expression. Yes. And you've been seeing them and didn't say anything? Yes. Abigail, this is... I didn't let him finish. I have decided to find Krieger and Greta, I announced. He looked stunned. The Steamheart expedition cost us way too dearly. I continued quickfire so he couldn't interrupt. I knew we'd end up rushing off to close all the rest of the doors eventually anyway. But the Professor and Greta are still out there making new ones. And until we find them, they'll just keep doing that. And think about it. When we catch up, we can ask them... To explain what's in our heads and how to use it. He concluded in all sincerity and folded his arms where he stood. I love this plan. Oh, thank God. 
I exhaled deeply and bent over in relief. I was sure you'd reel off some eminently logical screed about our duty to America and the world. Now don't get me wrong, I'm angry you didn't share this information and intent. But when you reacted to that package back in Washington and touched that orb they sent you, I was fairly certain this was what was on your mind. I think they want us to follow them. I said, excited just to be able to utter these words. This green door to the west? The one that's indigo from where I'm standing in this world? I think that's the beginning of the trail. They left us a marker, and it might just save our asses. At this, James leaned against a tree. Are you okay? I'm just relieved. I know, right? So, can we get going? We absolutely can. He confirmed, getting back to the path. The sun pressed down, even as we stuck to the dappled shade. My canteen was soon empty, and our throats became parched. The sound of water had been drawing me onward, and when the path finally came to a brook, we looked down with thirsty eyes. The crumbled remains of a shortish bridge crossing this luscious thread of life-given coolness appeared unstable and liable to collapse. So I knelt beside it and reached out. Hold on. I froze. Please don't tell me we can't drink the water. We can't drink the water. I said please don't. I'm deadly serious, Cap. Okay, Doc. Reasons? Very simple. Do you recall what happened to Miguel in his account and Harau in hers? My outstretched hands so close to the brook balled into a fist. They got sick. Within hours of entering each other's worlds. And both of them ingested the water there. Okay. I stood up, dropped my coat on the pathway and glared at him. My friend. My genius. My endlessly prudent doctor. He visibly readied himself for a scorching argument. What, pray tell, would have happened to Miguel had he not drunk the water upon entering Harau's world? What would have happened to him for the approximately three months that he remained there? I think the question you're blushingly groping for is how long can we last without hydration in this environment whilst engaged in strenuous walking activity? He stood, rooted to the spot, and thought. Then after a time, he pulled out his derringer and fired off a round to one side. A doorway ran itself open, and through it we could see a winter forest with a cold flowing stream. James allowed himself a satisfied grin and buckled with the effort he'd just exerted. I lifted my patch. (sighs) Is that our world? I cried and followed the thread he had laid out. Wait, even if it's not, it'll be close enough for the water to be safe. Fill your canteen. This has to last us as long as possible before we get to our way out. I moved over and helped him stand and steady himself. I'm sorry for doubting you this time, I said, patting the dust off his jacket. I was shitty back there, but you really are a genius. I know. Six bullets left. If we can't get to where we're going in time, we'll have to chance a parallel dimension to our own. I stepped through to the other Earth, receiving a shock as the icy chill of those woods enveloped me. I quickly filled my canteen from the stream and gulped down half of it. I scurried back, gave the rest to James, returned, and filled it to overflowing with cool, clear, icy water. Stepping through, I closed the door behind me. We began to walk again, but being in that other place had planted an unnerving thought in my head. Doc? Yes, Cap. 
Do you suppose if that was the alternate Earth, similar to the one we came from, that it also has an alternate doorway left by an alternate Greta? Or would that door lead to a similar but slightly different world to this one? I think my brain is melting. I think that if I don't get some food to restore my strength, I may not have it in me to comprehend the magnitude of what we're discussing, let alone reach that final bullet. Concern it. Now I wish Rao and Miguel were here. They could hunt us some supper easy. Most likely eating the fauna and flora of this world will make us just as sick as drinking the water. James said, carefully reloading his tiny pistol. Though we may have to chance it all the same. I could spare one of these bullets to bring down a meal, although it might take a largish animal two days to die of its wound. That is, unless you can find a cow to punch to death. Let's just walk some more. See if we can find some fruit here. You're right, we are going to have to risk it. You'd get weaker every time we hop back over, and those woods are real cold. A fine pair of cartographers we turned out to be. I think we've done pretty well getting our bearings across dimensions. I countered. And we walked on, supporting one another. That might have been the end of our story. We could have simply walked for days without end, succumbing eventually to exhaustion, laid down in the creeping roots of a great tree, and slept until we expired, one after the other. But that was not to be. By and by we reached a tower, strange and winding, and clearly not made by the hands of those from our earth. It was constructed of a distinctive grey stone, flecked with deposits of shining green ore that were nothing whatsoever to do with the ivy crawling up its ruined sides. Great gaps yawned into the sky, and the two of us were filled with trepidation, and yet simultaneously gripped with curiosity regarding what might lie at the top. A terrible roar sounded above us, again strangely familiar. I pulled Abigail back under the cover of the nearby trees as we watched a red, armoured lion soar overhead, its bat-like wings and barbed tail casting a fleeting, wide shadow across the clearing where the tower stood in the gathering dusk. The lion alighted at the pinnacle, descending within the vast eggshell of a crumbled dome, and from where we stood upon the ground we could just about make out a series of cubs each with their own glinting armoured carapace, little wings and curled scorpion tails. They leapt and dove and scrambled over the frame of their maneless, returning mother as she dropped an enormous hunk of raw meat she had been gripping in her jaws among her ravenous, playful young. I'll be goddamned. Abigail breathed, trembling with laughter and awe at this absurd and impossibly rare sighting. This must be the place Seth's ride came from. I recalled how magnificently deadly this beast had been atop the cliff in our own world, how very unkillable it was, and though by Harau's words there was deep, dark magic afoot in that specific case, I still did not wish to test what one of his species, an enraged matriarch no less, 
might do to defend her young. We should be leaving now, I understated. Night had crept in as we watched, and we did not wish to disturb this dinner, lest we wind up as seconds. As we turned to depart, both of us caught the glow of something luminous hanging within the trees about a hundred yards away. We froze. There was the shifting sound of a very large animal. I think, Abigail said in a strangled whisper. Daddy's home. Follow me over there. I hissed back under my breath. If we can clear his path to the tower, he might simply pass us by. We began to creep towards the darkest part of the wood, working our way around the hanging light. There was a snort and some muttered aside. That was a horse. Then a haughty female voice called out sharply. How about you blundering twits step away from the manticore's nest and come and have some tea? We turned to look into the light and now saw, illuminated beneath it, the form of the horse Abigail had heard. A human figure stood alongside, clad in blue-gray robes, sporting a tall, bent, pointy hat and gripping a staff from which the luminance emanated. The face of a stern-looking old woman with sharp, blue, twinkling eyes came into view under that wide brim, and the horse snorted again in her ear. You see? Rude, clueless, bloody tourists. You have been listening to episode 10 of Uncivil Outlaw, Travel Elsewhere. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. And Dr. James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw. Merlane, performed by Maureen Foley. And The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. All This and Smoking Gum, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lynn of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. I have donated to two charity funds connected with Black Lives Matter. There is Black Minds Matter, based in the UK, which is an organisation that connects black clients with black therapists, including providing financial support. These are two groups who respectively have a much tougher time being able to find mental health support and being able to attain the qualifications to practice due to the currently unfair system. And there is the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network's Autistic People of Colour Fund. This US-based charity provides direct support, mutual aid and reparations. I have specifically focused on some of the most vulnerable and often most ignored members of society here. Sharon has also donated to the Black Journalists Therapy Relief Fund, which is financing mental health support for black journalists covering the BLM demonstrations. 
throughout at least July and August 2020 and what remains of June. Every single penny I make from sales of the New Century Multiverse audiobooks on Bandcamp will be donated by me to those above-mentioned charities. So if you've been holding back on buying these, any that you pick up this summer will have the proceeds going to some very good causes. And all the links to these can be found pinned to the top of both of my Twitter accounts. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our top tier $15 sponsors get a shout out every episode. So many thanks to Joel Robinson, Finbar Nicole, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Angus Lee, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Johan Clayson, Joe Gesiga, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Matthew A. Siebert, Kat Esman, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Toby Junkius, Dave Hickman, Tom Painter, Dan Hepner, Marty Huey, Mark Luksh, Brian Novak, Frankie Punzi, Aaron Lecluse, Lorraine Chisholm, Timothy Green, Cassandra Newman, Duran Barnett, Benjamin, Joseph Gluck, Greg Downing, Kieran Dashler, Dan Mayer, Jameis Enright, Nick Ord, David Sheely, Chris Finnick, and Joe Crow.